Welcome to the Digital Public Relations Podcast, covering news and trends in the digital space. Produced by the students in the Public Relations Program in the School of Media and Journalism at Kent State University. On this episode of the Digital PR Podcast, Serena and Alexis discuss one of the most infamous artists from the 20th century, Andy Warhol. We cover the creative's life, controversies, and his role in the pop art culture through the lenses of PR professionals. Known as the prophet of celebrity culture and the pioneer of the hands-off business approach to art, Andy is no stranger to the complexities of the limelight. Spending most of his career as an artist, film director, and producer, he's been noted as a prominent figure in the pop art movement. His work explores the relationship between artistic and sexual expression, along with his creativity and commercial illustration. So sit back and relax and tune in as we discuss the unconventional life of Andy Warhol. Okay, so first, just a little bit about Andy Warhol and who he is. So Andy Warhol was actually an artist based out of Pittsburgh who originally got a degree from the Carnegie Institute of Technology. He started off studying commercial art, and that's what he finished his degree in. So after he finished his degree, he was kind of like trying to make it bigger in the world and wanted to go to New York to pursue commercial art. So he did that in 1949. Upon doing so, however, his path kind of changed fairly quickly from wanting to pursue art in a commercial sense to kind of wanting to pursue more of a street art scene. So he got involved very much in the street art and culture of the artists in New York City back in that time. This ended up leading to the premiering of the concept of pop art in 1961, which focused on commercial goods, which are mass produced throughout society. And Warhol attempted to, through doing this, remind us all that art can exist within even the most mundane of, like, everyday objects. Okay, so um, now we're going to get into some of his famous pieces or, like, his famous works. And me and Serena are really excited to talk about that. Um, So um, before we get into his famous artwork, though, we want to kind of touch on his filmography. So... Like I said before, some people may not know that Andy Warhol definitely dabbled in filmography and just film work um, between the eight, uh, the year of 1963 to 1968. Um, he made over like 50 films and 500 plus short black and white screen screen tests, um, and each of which can be described as like very experimental. And Serena, the reason why I'm saying this is because he would talk a lot about like drugs, violence, and sex and stuff like that. Yes. So, you know, very... Um, uh, spicy for back then, I guess. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but so one of his most uh, famous and probably I guess one of his first films um, was titled Sleep. Um, and it featured the poet John Gennaro, um, which was in the film he was sleeping in the nude. Um, okay. <laughs> so um, like most of his silent films, Warhol, um, he did this whole thing where he really wanted to mimic the idea of like watching some people or watching somebody, um, which you don't really see in a lot of films today or just in general. You don't really think of that when you're <laughs> watching a film or something like that. Right. Um, so it was definitely, I don't know, it's not one of his most craziest films, but I thought it was pretty interesting to know. Um, but one of his most famous films um, is definitely very, very experimental. 
Um, I don't even know if we're allowed to say this on the podcast, but okay, say it. Okay. <laughs> um, it's called blowjob. <laughs> Um, and it's, a, it's an experimental take on the sexual act that manages to convert um, the profane to the profound and then destructs um, itself into revealing nothing at all. Um, so basically in the film, there's a man of, you know, <laughs> he's, um, you know, having sexual acts being performed on him, but you're never actually seeing that in the film. Um, so okay. I kind of want to know, like, how do you feel about that, Serena? Like... Um, how do you, how would you feel if you've seen a film like that? Um, maybe from like a consumer point of view and then maybe from like a PR point of view. Well, having never heard of this before, I definitely feel like it was kind of bold and brave of him to take that approach. Um, many people don't even know really that he did like filming and videography right. and things like that. Like I wasn't even really aware of that when I think of him. Mm-hmm. So knowing that he was willing to, especially back then, was when sex was so like, kind of like scandalous and like not really talked about too much in society I see how that's a controversial point especially during the time period like nowadays nobody really cares yeah not (laughs) not to say it's like normalized but like it is you know because you think like um like even like in today's society how you can see it like in music um in fashion and not to say like it's a bad thing but it's just more you see it more often in today's time rather than you would see it like even in the 60s because I think this one came out in the 60s um, or even like the 70s and 80s. So it's definitely, like I said before, very experimental, very unconventional of him to do. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I loved hearing about that. So for my piece that I wanted to talk about with Andy Warhol, and I actually had the chance to see this at the MoMA, which I shared with you hey, before, okay. um, is his piece, Campbell's Soup Cans. Um This work was created, this is one of his pop art pieces, like the iconic pop art era that he premiered. I discussed that earlier. Um, This piece was created between the years of 1961 and 1962. When he was asked about the inspiration from this piece, and I actually pulled this from my photos of when I visited MoMA, Mm -hmm. um, the description of the art, he said that he used to have the same thing for lunch every day for 20 years, the same thing over and over again. So I feel like that kind of also speaks in a way to his personality. Like he very much was just everyday type of individual. You know what I mean? Like very relatable in that way. He didn't really think too much of these things. And also in a different way, like Um, Once again, I pulled this from the art description, but it says, using a repetitive process of projecting, painting, and stamping the soup cans, stress the uniformity of the product's packaging, which was reflected throughout the creation of it as well. Um, I just thought it was interesting, like the repetitive process of the way that he had chosen to make the art also kind of in a certain sense mimicked his like personality in terms of how he would repetitively do the same things every day, you know what I mean? Like, I thought that, I don't know if that was intentional or not in terms of the creation process relating back to who he is, like, individually. But I just found that to be interesting as well. It's like, I don't know if that was intentional or not. (laughs) But that was just kind of like a deeper look I had into the sitch. So, yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I've been to an Andy Warhol museum before, and I will say that a lot of his artwork, because I know, similar to, like, the Campbell Soup uh, painting, or not painting, I'm not really sure how, it was a, yeah, it was a painting, yeah. We don't go um, with that. He would do, like, the same thing, because I know he did, like, a Marilyn Monroe one. He did a Dolly Parton, and it would all look like, you know, that same type of idea of, like, repetition and, I don't know, like, everyday
Okay, so for my controversy, um, I'm going to be going more into just the controversy of his pop art premiere. Mm -hmm. So um, as alongside him premiering this, it did come with some challenges as well. It's not always all about success. Right. Um, in 1962, the Museum of Modern Art, which inter interestingly enough is where they host his pieces now. <laughs> right. So right. interesting on that. But they had attacked Warhol at the time for his ability to give way to consumerism and his overall embracement of market culture. Um, going back to, like I said earlier, like Warhol was kind of involved in the art scene back then in New York. Mm -hmm. And New York in those days was not the place of money that it is known for now. Right. Um, there was a lot of poverty, a lot of like previous building fires that people were just living in, then creating art in. I know that Basquiat and Warhol were very close, mm -hmm. and Basquiat used to take doors from these burnt down buildings and create art on them. Oh. And just because they were so broke at the time, right. they couldn't afford actual art materials. So the community that he was involved in was very much not the consumeristic culture that he mm -hmm. was promoting through the creation of pop art, right. through their lens at least. Um, so they kind of were very upset with him for kind of like selling out in a way. I would see it as that, you know, mm -hmm. um, just because he's like creating these mass produced items that essentially like workers are exploited to produce. And like he is growing up in an area that is like not the money, like the people right. who are living there aren't being the ones to make the money from it, right. you know? And then another thing, just in terms of Warhol being controversial, and you kind of touched on this too, like low key with like the blowjob um, video. <laughs> right. um, he was a gay man who was open during these times as well. And like we discussed, like his videography kind of implied that just through his like openness, expressing it through art and right. things like that. But this was also during the era of like the AIDS crisis. Mm -hmm. So existing back then as a gay man was clearly very difficult right. so we aren't really in those days anymore i kind of think that nowadays like clearly we have like little nas x and things right. like that and people don't really think anything of it for artists like being gay but back then it kind of did add to the controversy of him but which is unfortunate but mm -hmm. So Serena, now that we know a little bit about Warhol, his personality and brand, what do you think his digital presence would look like in today's world? I feel like for me, his digital presence would be a lot based off of using images and like we talked about before, like his videography, but just presented in more of like digital ways. Like, you know how like now, people go to platforms like Instagram and like YouTube to like share their content. So I feel like for me, if he existed nowadays digitally, he'd be using a lot of platforms like Instagram, YouTube, and things like that to share his content. Um, and you know, I was going to say even to, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. Well, I was just going to say, what do you think about it? Well, I think like to just add on, I think even like TikTok and Snapchat, because you think like you mentioned how his stuff is, he's a very, he's a visual, like a lot of his stuff is visual. So you know how like Snapchat and TikTok, they have like the filters and stuff like that. I feel oh, like, right. you know, even his presence on like those platforms, I feel like, you know, people will use, the, you know, his pop art, <laughs> like pop art filters and stuff like that for him. Yeah. And as a way to like, as PR people to like promote him 
we'd probably try to get them to create those filters and use those different types of things in order to get people to like spread awareness in terms of like who he is. Right. So going on to our next question then, uh, what platforms would Andy, if Andy was alive today, what platforms do you think he would use like for his personal brand and like his personal um, social media presence? Oh, I'm thinking Instagram, but what were you thinking? Yeah, like we touched on before, like a lot of like Instagram and like YouTube, but I think like for him personally, being an artist, like maybe he would even do some like blogging and things like that, you know, because then he could like share his art piece and kind of it'd give him a way to go more into detail about the art. And he'd probably like use that as more of an excuse to elaborate on the things he's created, you know? Right. Do you think he have a presence like in the vlogging world? Because you know how like, you know, vlogging and blogging is very similar in a sense of like you're tracking your everyday life or like, you know, things that you want to talk about. Yeah, especially being in like the New York art scene. Like I said, I feel like he'd have a lot of vlogging content to share with people. Right. So absolutely. I think yeah, <laughs> right. be a great way for him to go. Right. So going on to our last question, then, um, what are you, what are some digital PR strategies that you would implement in, um, Andy's brand today and why? So I think that to try to promote him digitally, I would probably try to use maybe some influencers to maybe like share pieces of art that he's made or collaborate with them on different projects so that they can share his aesthetic, like especially how we talked about the pop art, like a lot of that is like vivid colors and certain like color schemes that go along with that, you know? Mm-hmm. So I feel like influencers very much are all about like sharing things and like with the people and like visual like type of situations. Like we talk about like how he's very much like sharing things visually. I feel like the influencers could be a good tie-in to digital PR because it'd be a way for them to further advance his brand. Right. And I was going to even say like that whole idea of user generated content. Cause I know we talked a lot, talked a lot about and talked a lot about that in class. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, um, I don't know, maybe if Andy had came out with like a fashion line, cause I feel like, you know, yes. he did film, he did art and you think his art, like he had pretty, a whole bunch of different styles of art. So just imagine if Andy had came out with like a clothing line and he needed like, um, he was using that whole idea of like user generated content of people just buying his stuff and like promoting it on, um, on social media platforms or like you have like, um, copycats or like people just copying or not copying his work, but just showing appreciation for it. And going off of your user generated content idea too, like, I don't know if you've ever seen this online, but they have these, like, draw this in your style challenges and things like that. So maybe for a digital PR standpoint, we could do like a Andy Warhol like brand promotion like draw this in your style type of thing where we have like people create their own user generated content based off of his creations right you know, and kind of sharing the content that they come up with based off of his brand that already exists right I don't so, know yeah I think that would be that'd be really fun. That'd be really engaging for people you know because people like love his use of color and things like that and I think that'd give them a chance to play around with it and then we could kind of like use that you know yeah okay guys so that's all we have for today 
Yes. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We appreciate it. <laughs> yes. And um, if anyone is interested in learning more about Andy Warhol or any of the crazy controversies Definitely crazy. <laughs> that we went into today, um, you guys can check the show notes below and we'll have some some things linked down there for you. So thank yeah. you. Thank you guys. listening. Please subscribe, share, or send us your comments on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Spotify. Find us on Twitter using the hashtag PROnlineChat. We're looking forward to hearing from you.